All right, we're going to give everybody a chance to say happy birthday to Shara. She is 18 today. <laughs> yeah, you're so much taller than me. Um, how's on? So as the, ad, the announcement said, you are welcome to come back to the Kinney household to have supper with Shara and celebrate, and there's a big fat cream cake in the, in the fridge waiting to be consumed. We won't tell Ivan how much cream I had in it when he gets home, will we? So... Yep, so um, after the service, you can come and celebrate with Shara, and uh, she won't be drinking. She's already had the good stuff, haven't you? Yep. Okay. Without further ado, please give a hand to Pastor Phil as he comes to share the word tonight. Well, I was reading through... Uh I'll read through the Bible this week, because that's what we do, isn't it? Yep. And we hit Corinthians. Now, Corinthians is one of those interesting ones, because when you get into Corinthians, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that, you know, Paul starts to deal with this and deal with that, and the Corinthian church was, it was a little messed up at times. How's that way of putting it? And so Paul wrote to them, because they had some weird stuff going, like, um, I think what really got him going was some guy was living with his dad's wife, as in in a relationship, which just can't be healthy. So he sort of wrote him a letter going, look, that's probably the last straw, how about we sort some stuff out? And so he wrote him a letter to, to deal with a whole lot of stuff. And I was sort of reading through it and, well, it wasn't sort of, I was actually reading through it, and uh, thinking about what to pray and, and I had about... 40 different ideas as I went through and I thought, maybe we should go through and deal with some questions and I thought, well, rather than me doing questions, you guys can tell me some questions. So I sent a text out, obviously, and some of you text back who were in the loop who got my text because my phone doesn't reach many people. And um, so I got a few questions from you. So I thought tonight that we would look at some of these questions and what does God say about them? Because... There's a lot of stuff out there that sort of gets thrown around and, you know, um, well, that's, doesn't, God doesn't really say that and, you know, well, that doesn't, the church doesn't really believe that or, or this is okay or that is okay. And it usually comes because some of, it's, some of it's hard. You know what I mean? Some of the stuff that God says can be challenging and difficult and make things uncomfortable. And I don't know about you, but comfortable's good, Right? Yeah? You know, where would you rather be? You know, sitting on your lounge, watching a nice movie, feeling all comfortable and wonderful, or um, sitting outside in a minus five degree day in your underwear? You go for the comfortable, right? See? You all like comfortable. Well, sometimes reading some of the Word of God, it feels like you're outside in the cold in your underwear. <laughs> The cool thing is that God has a purpose. And I don't want to just look at what God's Word says, but maybe look at some of the why to help us understand what He's really saying. Okay? But I want to start with a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And Paul says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We all possess, possess he says, we all possess knowledge. And the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. Which is another way of saying, it doesn't matter how much you know, it's how you live. You can know, I mean, probably one of the best examples that you see on TV is, is Sheldon of Big Bang Theory. Now there's a guy who has a fairly high level of intelligence. But you wouldn't say he was the most loving character, would you? All right? His, his knowledge gets in the way of his relationships. All right? His knowledge puffs up. But it says that love builds up. It doesn't really matter how much you know or how little you know. It matters how much you love. All right? And I want, want you to keep that in mind as we go through some of this stuff, and some of it's pretty straightforward, some of it's a little tricky. But above all things, remember one thing, that God loves you. 
unconditionally. And that he has grace, his unmerited favour. His undeserved mercy is given to us freely. That even if we've messed up in some of these areas, that's his grace. That he loves us, he forgives us. Because he wants to have that relationship with us. And that's the core of who he is. Yeah? Cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you that you do love us so much. That, Lord, even when we face the challenges in life, you never leave us, you never forsake us. Even when we mess up, you never reject us. You always love us, always ready to forgive us the moment we ask. That you want to empower us to live an abundant life. So we bless you and we honour you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First one. Thanks, Beck. How do I find a godly husband or wife? If you're already married, it's too late. <laughs> Dave's available. <laughs> The answer to this, even if you are married and you don't feel like your partner is the most godly husband or wife, the answer is actually the same as to how you find a godly husband or wife. All right? It's really, really easy. Be a godly person. Be the person you want to marry. All right? Be the person you want to marry because like attracts like. And if you know who you need to be, then you know who you're looking for. It's easy, isn't it? Just doing it the hard bit, you know. All right, don't be a know-it-all like we just read. Be a person of love. Be a person of character. You don't have to be perfect because none of us are. It's only in God that we get perfection. But it's about seeking to be the best you that you can be. And as you do that, God will bring your way at that right time the best person to make you be the best person you can be. And you'll be in a position to make the other person the best them that they can be. It's like um, Ivan's um, mum said at the wedding. She, when she prayed for them, she said, thank you, Lord, that they are complete before they came together. Your partner should never complete you. You should be whole in God before you come together. All right? It's a bit like, you know, if you've got horses pulling something, you don't want to get two half horses to pull something. You want to get two whole horses, right? Make sense? It's the same thing. The other thing is to walk in purity. Again, be the person you want your partner to be. All right? Nobody wants to marry somebody and know they've been sleeping with somebody else or falling around with somebody else. Right? You don't want that for your partner, do you? You want to know that someone else has had your partner. Well, guess what? Your future partner does want to know that somebody else had you as well. Make sense? See, be the person you want to marry. Does that make sense? And let God take care of the rest. And it's important to let God take care of the rest. I remember a guy came into our church and he was a, he was a nice guy. I always said he was a good catch. Had a bit of money. He was a very good character. Just a really nice guy. And this guy was with us for a few months, but his one thing was he wanted a wife. And he heard of a church that had a few unattached females and he made a decision to move churches solely because he was looking for a wife. Even though God had spoken to him and said, this is where I want you to be. And so he went off. And I can remember about two months after this guy left, this girl walked into church with us for about a couple of months and I thought, you know what? She is the perfect match for him. And he's missed it. And it's funny, the girl he went chasing wouldn't have a bar of them. Right? 
So be careful. Put God first, let him take care of the rest. But when the guy comes along, you do have to step up. Or when the girl comes along, you do have to step up, guys. All right? God won't do everything. <laughs> All right. Let me just say there that if you have been fooling around with somebody, um, see, the whole thing is about the whole two becoming one is really important in God's eyes. That's a really big deal. It's the first thing that God says to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply. And he talks about two becoming one flesh. And that's what happens when you get into a sexual relationship and even technical version, there's no such thing, I'm sorry. All right? You fall around with somebody, you're falling around with somebody. All right? And you become one flesh. And you build what they call a soul tie, a spiritual tie with that person. And then if you go into another relationship, you're carrying that tie into the next relationship and into the next relationship. And then when you get married, you're carrying all those into your marriage. All right? If that's where you've been, you've got to break those off. You've got to break off those soul ties. All right? Really important to break them off before you get into a relationship. If you're in a relationship, it's just important to break them off. Because you don't want to carry those things throughout your married life. Okay? Good thing to talk to Dale about afterwards. No, seriously. Happy to pray for you. If that's where you've been, you know, don't make a big deal about it. Just quietly whisper in the ear and we'll, we'll pray with you sometime. And we can break those off your life. Okay? All right. We okay with that one? Good. <laughs> so I'm not taking questions from the floor. <laughs> All right. Next one, Beck. What sort of things are okay to do? Is drinking, dancing, going to nightclubs, pubs, etc. okay? This is one of those questions that goes around church century after century after century. Yeah, I think Adam had this debate with his kids. No, you can't go to the nightclub. Alright. So what is permissible? What is forbidden? Where's the line? Well, if you open your Bible up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to walk through the Bibles, so have your Bibles ready, all right? Because I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you what God's Word says, and you can work yourself out from there. How's that? <coughs> 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12 says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And he goes on and talking about a whole lot of things. Everything is permissible. It's okay to drink alcohol. There is actually nothing in the Bible that says you should not drink alcohol. All right? People try and spiritualize Jesus turning the water into wine and saying, oh, it wasn't alcoholic. I'm sorry, but it was alcoholic. All right? You don't make good non-L wine. There is no such thing. It's, it's like saying there's a good decaf coffee. <laughs> Saw a picture today from my brother-in-law and it was showing this coffee plant. And it, says it had the coffee bean on top and it's pointing it, going, you know, where coffee comes from. And then it had this point down into the dirt and it said where decaf comes from. <laughs> All right, it's the same with wine. You know, proper good wine has alcohol in it. Okay? And there's actually nothing in the Bible to say that you should not drink. It does say, however, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, get drunk on the Holy Spirit. The hangover is a lot shorter. <laughs> the effects can last a lot longer in a good way. All right? So drinking is okay, but being drunk is not. Is it okay to dance? Is it okay to go to nightclubs? I mean, when I grew up, I remember being in churches because my parents were missionaries. We used to have to go and speak in churches because they used to financially support. I remember being in churches where they didn't have instruments. You know, if you talked about the only instrument that was holy was the organ because that's what Jesus played. <laughs> you know, the disciples used to lug it around on their shoulders. You know? <laughs> the extension cord was amazing. Actually, it was a big bellow one, you know. Peter the windbag. <laughs> you know, 
And, and drums were from Africa, so therefore they were bad. I don't know what's wrong with Africa, but... You know, guitars came out of Argentina, so they were bad. Work that out. Forget that, you know, they played the loose and everything else, you know. And so there was this, this whole thing's been going around is what is permissible, what's okay? It's like Paul says here. Look, actually, everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial. And what is okay for you may not be okay for the person next to you. And what is okay for them may not be okay for you. And Paul goes on to say, if you read further on, he goes a whole lot of stuff. He says, look, if something, if your conscience is really pricked about doing something and you're thinking, I'm not okay with this, then don't do it. All right? He's talking about food given to idols, but the principle he's trying to say is, listen, if you have a glass of wine and it really just, you struggle with it, then just don't do it. If going to the nightclub gives you a headache, one, you're probably too old. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? If, if you struggle with it, then don't go there. But he also says, if what you're doing leads someone else astray, don't go there. An example of that is when Dale and I were in Kalgoorlie. While we were associates, our primary ministry was with youth. And so we made a decision while we were up there ministering that we were not going to drink alcohol. Because we knew that one, alcohol was a big problem in the area. And two, if people saw us drink, if these kids saw us drinking alcohol, they would have no trouble taking it as permission for them to go and get drunk. Now we weren't getting drunk. Well, Dale can't drink at all, but you know, two sips and she's under the table. Discovered her eldest daughter's got the same thing. <laughs> All right. But the only time I would ever drink when I was in Kalgoorlie was with a, a school friend of mine, that, well, a guy I went to school with, we were out of school, um, was we, we're 18, 19, we discovered a love of port together, the same ports. And so he would come and visit, because he was living in Perth at the time, if he came to visit, we would sit down and we'd have a glass of port while watching a movie or a footy or something like that. That was the only time we ever drank. And it wasn't that there was something wrong with alcohol. It was that we were making a, th a stand so that the young people we were ministering with would not fall into drunkenness. All right? So Paul says, think about what you're doing. If there's someone not as strong as you that can't handle it, then just stop doing it for their sake because you don't want them to fall into sin. Remember that love thing as the overarching principle? It's not about getting legalistic about this. Oh, you shouldn't dance. Oh, you shouldn't go to the pub. Oh, you shouldn't go to the nightclub. I'm sorry, but Jesus went to those places. He hung out with drunkards. All right? And let's not sanitize it. They didn't walk in and suddenly sober up. That would have been flaring while he's preaching. You know? This is what Jesus did. He says, these people need Jesus. He didn't come to look the sick. It's the sick that need a doctor, not those who are well. It's those who are far from God that need Jesus, not Christians. We've already got them. All right? And we're told to be out as a part of the world, not in the world. Sorry, in the world, but not a part of the world. Get around the right way. All right? So that we may reach people for Jesus. But you've got to be wise about that. If going to a pub or a nightclub causes you to fall into sin and be drunk, then don't go there. If hanging out with a certain amount of people causes you to do the wrong thing, then don't hang out with those people until you're stronger. Be smart about it. All right? But if you, I mean, I used to, when I was in Kalgoorlie, I would go to the pub because at my work, their standard do was to go down the road to the pub, probably because there weren't that many other options. The deli across the road just didn't really cut it for a get-together. So we'd go to the pub. And I'd order a Coke or a lemon squash or whatever it was. All right? And you know what? Everybody's okay with that. People I work with were okay with that. My boss gave me a pay rise one year because I didn't drink. He was a bit of a drunk, but that's all right. His comment was, you'll go far, son. You'll go far, right attitude, you don't drink. But, yeah. It's about what you can handle, but also what others can handle. Be smart about it, all right? If it causes someone else to stumble, if you end up, you can't go there and you can't help but leering at the way women are dressed or the way guys are dressed or whatever it is, then don't go there. 
Stay away from temptation if you can't handle it. And be honest with yourself. Alright? You walk in, you're finding it hard, walk out. It's okay. We okay with that one? Alright. What does the Bible say about tattoos and piercings? Now, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, but let's really unpack this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore honour God with your body. That is what the Old Testament says about your body. Full stop, summed up. Sorry, New Testament. That's it. It actually does not say anything in the New Testament about piercings, about tattoos. However, it does in the Old Testament. Let's have a look at what it says, shall we? Leviticus chapter 19. Yeah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I really had to pull out my, my, pulled out my old Bibles for some of this stuff. You know, I had to go referencing everything. It was, I've done that for ages. Poor, my old one's fallen apart. I had to even bring them to church in case I got stuck. <coughs> Leviticus 19. And verse 28 says... Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. That seems pretty final, right? Read verse 27. Do not cut the hair on the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. <laughs> there are about five or six references that refer to tattoos. And interestingly... Every single one of them is accompanied with a haircut. <laughs> or not having a haircut or a beard cut. So what does the New Testament say about tattoos? Absolutely nothing. What does the Old Testament say? If you're not getting a tattoo, you shouldn't shave your beard or cut your hair either. Let me finish. No questions from the floor. <laughs> I'm walking through this. All right? Listen, ask them later. Okay. Now, the whole thing about tattooing and piercing, especially in Old Testament times and a little into New Testament times, comes from things like pagan idol worship. All right? Especially if you go into, um, like when Elijah, you know, the whole bull thing and the fire from God falling on the bull. All right? It was him versus the, 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 idol, the Baal idol thing. Remember that story? Alright, so he's there and they build two altars, one's to God and one's to the idol of Baal. And Elijah says to the, the priests of Baal, if you can get fire to fall from heaven, then we'll worship your God. If you can't and I can get fire to fall from heaven, you have to worship my God. And so the Baal guys, they're dancing around the, 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 yeah, their bull, you know, and they're dancing all around it. And, and they start to cut themselves and they start to pierce themselves and they start to mark themselves all as part of their worship ritual. And Elijah sits back and he literally, this is the wording literally from the Old Testament, it doesn't say that in our sanitized translations, but the wording literally is, get louder, maybe your God's gone to the toilet. <laughs> All right, that's what he says to them, he really has a go. Elijah loved to have, he just, yeah, he liked to throw his words around. All right, he really had a go on it. By the end of the day, you know, nothing happens and he gets his and they put water all over it, water all over it to make sure that they're convinced that it's, you know, not going to catch on fire. Fire falls from heaven, they kill all the prophets of Baal. And that's, and that's what they're talking about in the Old Testament. It was, it was a sign in that time of worship of pagan idols. All right? There was a bit of flow through that in the New Testament as well. All right? it was, piercings were a sign of slavery. So girls with your earrings, to wear an earring meant you were a slave. All right? And if you became a bond slave, they used to put a big hole through your wing. Straight through, take a big chunk out of your ear. All right? Tattoo markings could be the same thing. Okay? 
or they would brand you. Don't recommend that. It comes back to this. Romans 14, let's go to Romans 14, 23. Let's go there. Again, I'm not giving you my, my opinion. I'm telling you what the Bible says, okay? <clears throat> Romans 14, 23. The person, says the man, the person who has doubts is condemned if he eats, blah, 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 but his eating is not from blood, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you can't go and get piercings or get a tattoo in a spirit of faith and acceptance before God, then don't do it. If you're okay before God, you don't have any doubts whatsoever, then go for it. But let me give you a little bit in here. If you're going to go for it, be smart about it. Bali is not the place to get it done. <laughs> All right? Go to someone, I mean, understand that someone, especially doing tattoos, someone who's doing a tattoo, that there is a link with that person because they are piercing your skin. So be smart about who you get to do that. All right? But if you've got a doubt, just don't bother. And like the ad on TV says, some decisions can be really bad. You know, tattoos don't look great after a while. So pick piercings, tattoos, if you're going to go that way, pick carefully who you get to do it. All right? If you've got a doubt, don't do it. But also, pick where you get it done. All right? It is not appropriate, as your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, to have your privates done. All right? To have your breasts done. Did I say breasts in church? To have someone... Yes, your, your body is for you and for your partner only. How's that? And maybe your doctor doing an examination of some sort. <laughs> it's not outside of that, okay? So it's not appropriate to have someone tattooing you on your backside. All right? Remember, all in all, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we like to decorate the windows of our temple. Just make sure it's the windows and not the doors. <laughs> Moving on. <clears throat> we okay so far? <laughs> I told you. I'm just telling you what the word says. What about words we speak? Does it matter if we drop the occasional word? All right, I had to laugh the other day, put it in my letterbox, and the guy apologized every third word. Does it matter what we say? Does it matter if we occasionally, you know, drop a few words here and there? I'm not going to drop any. All right, you know, yesterday I was moving... Furniture around as kids changed rooms, had to remove doors and tried to put the door back on and felt like putting a hammer through the door because the door wouldn't go back on. In fact, it wouldn't come off in the first place and then it wouldn't go back on and, you know. But thankfully, no words came up. I didn't put the hammer through the door. Just felt like it. But let me, let me give to you, God is really big on the words we say. There's no such thing really as a casual word when it comes to God. Okay? Words are really important because they're life. God created by speaking. Just to show us from the very start that words have power. All right? Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 45. <clears throat> Let's go from verse 43, Luke 6. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. So what you are saying is really what's inside your heart. If your heart is full of poison, then words of poison will come out. If your heart is full of good, then there shouldn't be words of poison flowing out. Does that make sense? So dropping the occasional word shows what's really in your heart. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? So we need to be careful what we say. And it's not just what we say, it's what we type, it's what we tweet, it's what we Facebook. It's every word that we put out is an expression of who we are. So who are we? Remember going back to being the person you want to marry? What sort of person do you want to be? What sort of person do you want to be with? Would you say it if Jesus was there? Because he is. Yeah? What's in your heart? You need to change what's in our heart by putting the word of God in. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 29. Because this is a little more direct on this whole thing. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, first and second that is, Galatians and then Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only is what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Is what you're saying building somebody else up or are you trying to build yourself up by putting somebody else down? Yeah? What you say, what you tweet, what you put on Facebook is powerful. Does it line up with God's word? Is it unwholesome? Or does it demonstrate love? It doesn't matter what someone else has done to you. The whole world doesn't actually need to know. Do you know that? You might sit down and have a private conversation with a couple of friends and share what's in your heart and, you know, as part of a healing process. But even then, pick your words. Because if you're having a go at somebody else or you're dropping a whole lot of expletives, it doesn't actually reflect on the other person, it reflects on you and who you really are. Because they are not making you say them. Nobody can make you say anything. Make sense? You are responsible for what comes out of your word, out of your mouth, what you say, what you type, what you put on social media. That's your responsibility, no one else's. It doesn't matter how angry or how frustrated or how upset you are, or just how everyday everything is. What you say, what you type, shows who you really are, what's really in your heart. Yeah? So stop. Think. Do you really need to say it? It also makes you look unintelligent. It really does. A good way to think about it is, if your boss, when you're, if you're going for an interview, and your boss saw your Twitter account, or they saw your Facebook account, or they were in the conversations you had in the last week, would they employ you? It's a good way to think. Yeah? Anyway, we okay with that? All right, let's move on. How are we going with time? We've got two more. Thanks, Beck. Divorce. Can a divorced person get married? to thank all those who sent this one in. I was having a good day till I got a couple of these ones. I actually did an assignment on this when I was at college. And so I spent a lot of time researching this as a part of my course. And I did not enjoy it. Because what the Bible says is actually a little uncomfortable in this area. So I was looking at it and going, why is it uncomfortable? 
what is God really saying when it comes to the whole marriage and divorce? And a lot of it comes out of, out of two areas. But one of the main areas is the whole that, that when two people are in a marriage relationship, there is a tie there, there's a covenant made before God that is one of the most binding covenants you can ever have. That's why it's really important to be careful who you marry. Because God sees married as, you know, it's like marriage and sex is probably the closest comparison we have to our potential relationship with God. Because it's the most intimate you can ever get with somebody. And it's still a poor reflection of what was possible with God. Okay? So what does God's word say about it? And I'd like to, a couple of people you know, said, oh, look, we know what the Old Testament says. Well, actually, the thing about, you know, we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, that some things don't carry over. This one does. Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Let me walk you through this, though. Remember, love's over everything. All right? It has been said, verse 31, anyone who marries his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Well, I don't want to give my one, so that's all right. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. If you want to go, um, Luke chapter 16, verse 18 says the same thing. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. And Paul talks, I mean, Paul, Jesus talks about a couple of things here, and he says, listen, the reason that most people get divorced is because there's a hardness of heart somewhere in there. You have to harden your heart towards the other person in some way to break up that sort of relationship. Okay, That's why Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, that you want to get divorced. It's not your partner's problem, it's your problem. And if you want to go the biblical line, it says that if you've been divorced, you shouldn't get remarried. So what happens to people who already are? That's the awesome thing about God's grace, isn't it? That we all have sin. You know, this sin is no greater than any other sin. Put that in context. It just has probably a little more profile. <laughs> all right? you know, I would guess by my belly that I struggle occasionally with the sin of gluttony. I'm working on that one. All right? But gluttony, whoever hears a sermon about gluttony? Probably because most preachers struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I, mean, I can preach on most things, and most of you think, oh, that's fine, Philip's got it together. And my wife will sit in the front row and go, no, he hasn't. You know? So we don't talk about those things because, you know. But divorce does have that profile. But that's where the grace of God comes in. That if you've been divorced and you've been remarried, God's not sitting out there going, no, that's it, not recognizing it. This is where grace comes in and he forgives and forget, releases and recognises the new union. Because he's a great God. What does that mean for someone who's actually divorced? Can they remarry? To give you the hard facts from the Bible? Actually, no. So if you said to me, would I marry somebody who'd been divorced? I'd take that to my board. There is no way I would make that decision by myself. Just let my board know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not presuming anything on them. We've never talked about it. I've never had to, thankfully. Um, don't think of. No, we haven't. But I'm not going to make that call. Because biblically it's wrong and then I recognise grace and love and they're two things I've really got to struggle through. And I don't have a good answer for you, except to say that the line biblically, and this is what I wrote in my assignment, and I wrote it you know, back in 1995, and I'm still standing by it today, is the biblical line is that once you are divorced, you are divorced. You are separated. And that's God's line. If you already are remarried, then that's fantastic, because there's grace and love in there. But that's God's line. And they're the words of Jesus. Not Paul at all, that's the words of Jesus. Does that raise issues? Absolutely. 
right? So it's really careful, really be careful, especially your younger ones, careful who you marry. Because it's a lifelong contract. Right? The room goes quiet. All right? Just remember that there's grace and love and everything. And you gotta, it's between, you got to work this out between you and God. Over there. <laughs> All right. Which takes us to our last one. What does God think about? What does God think about us when we mess up? What does God think about us when we mess up? Well, the great thing is he does think about us. He doesn't forget about us. Either when we mess up, he doesn't go, oh, I don't want to know you. You're out of my life, that's it. God doesn't do that. 1 John 1, 1.9 says that if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which in other words means when you mess up, if you say sorry to God, he just washes it away. I been telling an illustration a few weeks ago, I was sort of preaching on this, and, and I'd done something wrong, and I was sitting at the end of my bed, I know it's hard to believe, but it does happen occasionally, and I was, I was sitting on my bed and, and just going, God, I've done it again. And he said, what have you done again? I've only got a record of one thing here. And I went, oh, sorry, and he goes, now I've got none. It was that quick. And it really hit me that God didn't have a record of all my previous offences because I'd already confessed them and he'd forgiven them. And he says he puts them so far away they no longer exist. Do you know how far that is for God? I mean, this is the guy that measures the universe with the span of his hand. And yet, your sin is removed so far that even he doesn't recognize it. So when you mess up, all you've got to do is say sorry. Repent, turn from your sin, and it's gone. It's out of your life. And it's out of God's life. It no longer exists. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave Jesus his only son. This is where a lot of people go, well, it's cool because God forgives everyone who says sorry, so I'm okay. But the next part of the verse is really, really important. That whoever believes on him. You've got to have an action. See, God's up there and he's given Jesus and Jesus died on the cross to take all of our sin, take all the times we messed up, And gives us the gift of forgiveness for all the things we've done wrong, of freedom from all the guilt and the shame and the things that we carry through life. And he gives that as a gift. And he says, if you will allow me to come and be a part of your life, if you will let me take leadership of your life, I will save you from the guilt and the shame. If you will repent and give it all to me, I'll take it from you and I will make you right. But he, he offers us a gift, and we have to take that gift. It's already been given, all wrapped up. But we have to take it. We have to receive it. We have to choose to give God that leadership in our life. What does it mean for God to have leadership in your life? It means you choose to live your life as God wants you to live it. No big deal. You'd be messing it up anyway. Right? Outside of God, we just mess ourselves up. And we go around in circles and keep messing ourselves up and keep messing ourselves up and keep making wrong decisions. But when we choose to live God's way, He forgives us and He shows us how to live the right way. He puts us into places like church where it's just one big family hanging out together and we can be uncomfortable over some questions together but know that we love each other so it's okay, it doesn't matter. We can dance around and around the church looking really stupid. Because the only place you can do that is with family, I'm sorry. <laughs> or when you're totally drunk. And we don't get drunk, except in the Holy Spirit. 
So church is the only place you do that, right? That's what Jesus says. He says, look, take me. Give me the leadership. Let me have leadership of your life. Let me take all that sin and that pain and that wrongdoing and that guilt and shame. Let me take that and let me give you love and joy and peace. And when you're walking with him and you mess up, because that happens occasionally too, he says, just confess your sin. And I'll forgive you and take it away. And you'll be right with me again. So what does God do? What does he think when we mess up? He thinks he loves you. He thinks he's hanging out to forgive you and he's just waiting for you to accept him back into your life. That's what God thinks. He says, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. I came into the world to save it. So God doesn't condemn at all. It's we that condemn ourselves. I'm sure the devil has something to do with that as well. Jesus, he just loves on us. And that's why we need to be that same love and not be that condemning voice. That's the important part with all this stuff that we've talked about. It's really easy to go, Phil said, or it says in the Bible, but that's not the intention of the Bible. The intention of the Bible is to say, love God, love each other. And if somebody wants to go and shave their hair off and give themselves a reverse mohawk, we love them when they do it. Even though they look really ridiculous. We might tell them that, but we'll still love them, right? Or they want to go and have a midlife crisis and buy their Harley Davidson and take their pastor for a ride. We'll love them. Because that's what God is with us. He doesn't ever condemn us. So I want to encourage you, let's not be a church that tries to control people. Let's not be a church that tries to dictate to people what we think they should do. Let's be a church that just loves. That through every one of these areas, let's love. Because that's what God does for us. He loves. He looks at us and he says, I love you, I don't condemn you. No matter what you do, I love you. That's the sort of church we are, because that's what family does, right? We mess up occasionally, but we love each other. Let's pray. Before we pray, on that last point, we we're talking about, that's why you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, talking about messing up. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're going, you know what, I've really messed up. I've messed up my life. I can't see anything wrong, right in my life. I've, I've got this guilt and this shame. I've got this sin. And I want to be free from it. I want to know the love of God. I want to know his forgiveness. I want to give him leadership of my life. If that's you sitting here and, and you're saying that to yourself, while everyone's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, I'd like to pray for you. So I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute. If you're saying, look, just include me in that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything else. This is between you and God. If you're saying, look, include me in that prayer, I want God to have leadership of my life. I want to give him my life over. I want him to take away my sin, my guilt, my shame, the things I've done wrong. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to receive his love. I want to choose to live for him every day. I want his joy. I want his peace. I want his love in my life. If that's you and you want to be included in that prayer, I'm not going to name you. I'm just going to include, just have you part of the prayer. Just slip your hand up and say, look, I want to be a part of that prayer. Pray for me. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up right now. Just the next few seconds. Thank you. All right. Anyone else? Thank you. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down again. That's fine. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up now and say, include me in that prayer. Take five more seconds. Just slip your hand up now if you're saying you want to be in that prayer. Okay. What I want us to do is I want us all to pray together. So I'm going to say a few words that I want you to repeat. And if you, I'm going to ask everyone to repeat it. And if you put your hand up, 
just take those words and with everything you've got in you, just sort of mean every word as much as you can. All right? Because as you pray this prayer, you're going to give your life over to God. You're going to receive that gift He's given of forgiveness. And you're going to start a new journey walking with Him. So I'm going to say a line. I want you to repeat it. Think about what I'm saying as you do. And mean as though you're talking to God. Let's pray this together. I ask everyone else to join with you and say it as well. Let's do this together. Dear God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for me. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me where I've got things wrong. Take away my guilt and my shame. I choose this day to live for you. From this point on, you are my Lord and my Savior. I give you leadership of my life. I choose to live for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may be the best you have made me to be. To the glory of my Heavenly Father. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for every person who just prayed that there with us for the first time or they're praying it again. Father, I pray right now that they will be filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that they will know you. They will know that your leadership in their life. They will know your hand upon your life, Lord. They will know your grace and your forgiveness. Father, over all of us, that we will walk in your love. We'll be filled with the love of the Father that you'll be glorified through our lives. Lord, sometimes life can be challenging. Sometimes what you say in your word can be challenging and be difficult. But Lord, other times it can be so easy. But I thank you that no matter what the situation, that you give us your love, that you accept us as we are, that when we mess up, you forgive.